0: act one scene two of the straw by eugene o'neill this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by bologna times the reception room of the infirmary a large high-ceilinged room painted white with oiled hardwood floor in the left wall forward a row of four windows farther back the main entrance from the drive and another window in the rear wall left A glass partition looking out on the sleeping porch a row of white beds with the faces of patients barely peeping out from under piles of heavy bedclothes can be seen to the right of this partition a bookcase and a door leading to the hall past the patients rooms farther right another door opening on the examining room in the right wall rear a door to the office farther forward a row of windows In front of the windows, a long dining table with chairs. On the left of the table, towards the center of the room, a chimney with two open fireplaces facing left and right. Several wicker armchairs are placed around the fireplace on the left in which a cheerful wood fire is crackling. To the left of center, a round reading and writing table with a green-shaded electric lamp. Other electric lights are in brackets around the walls. Easy chairs stand near the table, which is stacked with magazines. Rocking chairs are placed here and there about the room, near the windows, etc. A gramophone stands near the left wall, forward. It is nearing 8 o'clock of a cold evening, about a week later. At the rise of the curtain, Stephen Murray is discovered sitting in a chair in front of the fireplace, left. Murray is 30 years old. A tall, slender, rather unusual-looking fellow with a pale face, sunken under high cheekbones, lined about the eyes and mouth, jaded and worn for one still so young. His intelligent, large, hazel eyes have a tired, dispirited expression in repose, but can quicken instantly with a concealed mechanism of mocking, careless humor whenever his inner privacy is threatened. His large mouth aids this process of protection by a quick change from its set apathy to a cheerful grin of cynical good nature. He gives off the impression of being somehow dissatisfied with himself, but not yet embittered enough by it to take it out on others. His manner, as revealed by his speech, nervous, inquisitive, alert, seems more an acquired quality than any part of his real nature. He stoops a trifle giving him a slightly round-shouldered appearance. He is dressed in a shabby dark suit, baggy at the knees. He is staring into the fire, dreaming, an open book lying unheeded on the arm of his chair. The gramophone is winding out the last strains of Dvorak's humoresque. In the doorway to the office, Miss Gilpin stands talking to Miss Howard. The former is a slight, middle-aged woman with black hair and a strong, intelligent face, its expression of resolute efficiency softened and made kindly by her warm, sympathetic gray eyes. Miss Howard is tall, slender, and blonde, decidedly pretty, and provokingly conscious of it, yet with a certain air of seriousness underlying her apparent frivolity. She is twenty years old, The elder woman is dressed in the all-white of a full-fledged nurse. Miss Howard wears the gray-blue uniform of one still in training. The record finishes. Murray sighs with relief, but makes no move to get up and stop the grinding needle. Miss Howard hurries across to the machine. Miss Gilpin goes back into the office. Miss Howard takes off the record, glancing at Murray with amused vexation. It's a wonder you wouldn't stop this machine grinding itself to bits, Mr. Murray. Murray with a smile. I was hoping the darn thing would bust. Miss Howard sniffs. Murray grins at her teasingly. It keeps you from talking to me. That's the real music. Miss Howard comes over to his chair, laughing. (laughs) It's easy to see you've got Irish in you do you know what i think i think you're a natural born kidder all newspaper reporters are like that i've heard you wrong me terribly then frowning and it isn't charitable to remind me of my job i hope to forget all about it up here miss howard surprised i think it's great to be able to write i wish i could you ought to be proud of it i'm not you can't call it writing not what i did small town stuff but i wanted to ask you something do you know when i'm to be moved away to the huts in a few days i guess don't be impatient murray grunts and moves nervously on his chair what's the matter don't you like us here at the sanatorium murray smiling oh you yes then seriously, I don't care for the atmosphere, though. He waves his hand towards the partition looking out on the porch. All those people in bed out there on the porch seem so sick. It's depressing. I can't do anything for them, and it makes me feel so helpless. Well, it's the rules, you know. All the patients have to come here first until Dr. Stanton finds out whether they're well enough to be sent out to the huts and cottages. And remember, you're a patient, just like the ones in bed out there, even if you are up and about. I know it, but I don't feel as I were really sick like them. None of them do, either. Murray, after a moment's reflection, cynically, yes i suppose it's that pipe dream that keeps us all going eh well you ought to be thankful you're very lucky if you knew it shall i tell you a secret i've seen your chart and you've no cause to worry dr stanton joked about it he said you were too uninteresting there was so little the matter with you murray pleased but pretending indifference (laughs) He's original in that opinion. I know it's hard your being the only one up the week since you've been here with no one to talk to. But there's another patient due today. Maybe she'll be well enough to be around with you. With a quick glance at her wristwatch, she can't be coming unless she got in on the last train. It's a uh, she, eh? Yes. Young. Eighteen, I believe, seeing his grin with faint pique, I suppose you'll be asking if she's pretty next. Oh, you men are all alike, sick or well. Her name is Carmody. That's the only other thing I know. so there, Carmody, oh, you don't know her. she's from another part of the state, from your town, Miss Gilpin, appearing in the office doorway miss howard yes miss kilpin and an aside to murray as she leaves him it's time for those horrid diets end of a scene from act one scene two of the straw by eugene o'neill